This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. A safe place for trans communities, our friends and our allies to share our experiences. We'll discuss our issues, our challenges and our successes. We'll occasionally make you cry and hopefully we'll educate and inspire you. Welcome to Transpositions on Joy 94.9. Good evening Melbourne. It is exactly 8 o'clock and... Tuesday night, that means it's Transpositions. I'm Megzi and I'm your host with, of course, good old Michelle. Michelle, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, sweetheart. How are you? Yeah, absolutely fantastic. We have got an absolute bumper show lined up for you guys tonight. So we are going to be talking about lots of different things. We're going to be talking to Senator Janet Rice. from. She's a federal senator uh, from the Greens uh, Party. Uh, we're going to be talking to her around about quarter past eight tonight. So make sure that you are tuning in and listening listening to Janet Rice. We're also going to be talking to our lovely good friend, uh, Dr. Michelle Telfer from the Royal Children's Hospital. She's starting to become a bit of a regular here on Transpositions, which is great. She's an amazing resource, and we're going to be dispelling some rumours and facts, and we're going to be talking about facts and those kinds of things. Michelle, you have something to say there? No, I was going to say, there's just been so much going on, and and yeah, we have had quite a few regulars coming on. Uh, uh, Joe Hurst, the Gender Fairy, Michelle Telfer. I mean, it's just been a, a mad beginning of the year with so much going on. Yeah, it's been rather crazy. Now, obviously, as, as we've seen, there's a lot of wild accusations and things being thrown up in the media and in the press. So maybe we might talk about some of those things and maybe sort of, as I said, we might dispel some of those myths and rumours. You are listening to Transpositions on Joy 94.9. My name is Michelle and, and I'm joined by Megan. Hey, guess what time it is? It's time for the news. The news, actually. I tell you, babe, I... <sighs> I was trying to find positive things. I was trying to find things that really stood out. Um, That's a really good idea. Um, We've been beating the safe schools thing with a big stick. It's the bathroom thing as well. I tried my best to pick out the top stories that I could out of the the news. The stick got longer last night, but... I know it got longer, so... Yeah. Well, the big one, the big things that stood out. New Texas policy violates Title IX by discriminating against transgender athletes. So, basically, the transgender rights in Texas Texas took another step backward last month um, when public school superintendents voted 586 to 32 in favor of a rule that requires students to use birth certificates to determine the gender of student athletes. So is that like a ticket to go into yeah. the... Into the, into the <clears throat> that's crazy. Well, this law is seen only as an attempt to handicap transgender student athletes' eligibility by... Uh, but it's also believed to be a clear violation of Title IX. The Department of Education has stated that Title IX covers trans students and prohibits discrimination based on gender. Um, it is, it's a full-on one, this one. And so does it talk about with um, trans kids, obviously in the U.S., whether they're on hormones or not? This is, this is in the States. It doesn't matter. It Basically, they're going off of what your um, uh, birth certificate says and what you're born as 
uh, what gender you're born as. That's crazy. So, and this will officially be enacted on August 1st. So it's actually gone and become active. That's okay. Okay. All right. Not, not okay. Now, there's another one that was in there. Transgender kids, no harm. Possible benefit from early social changeover. Okay. Pubescent transgender kid children who socially transition to the opposite sex have good mental health outcomes with only slightly elevated rates of anxiety. Results of a nationally representative study indicate... An analysis of more than 70 transgender children that included their non-transitioned siblings and matched control and matched control children showed that social transitioning, which involves, for example, changing names, clothing, pronoun use, and hairstyles, did not increase rates of depression and anxiety above clinical and preclinical levels. So it's it's actually so the things that they're trying to say, even like last night, that there's issues around you know mental health and whatever actually saying they're actually saying here the studies have shown that if they actually it's clear evidence that uh they have levels of anxiety and depression no different from other non-transgender kids and peers and and siblings okay now there's a big one coming out of south dakota i don't know we've we've talked about this one south dakota again you know that 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 starts always in the news in a good way or a bad well, way this time? In, in a bad way, but the, it, it, it's a good and bad. So tomorrow is the decision day in South Dakota. Will Governor uh, uh, DeGard uh, veto controversial transgender student bill? Uh, it's decision time. And so uh, where the states, uh, where should the state's students go to the bathroom? Uh, the governor is up against a hard Tuesday deadline to sign or veto a historic and highly controversial bill that requires students to use social ba- school bathrooms and locker rooms that correspond with their gender at birth as opposed to their gender identity. And if he doesn't actually act on it by the end of Tuesday, it actually automatically becomes law. Right. And so, yeah. And so, yeah. basically, the, the the person who originally introduced the legislation told the New York Times he wrote the bill in order to protect the innocence of the children. Okay. Um, I know. You and I are both kind of like basically flying <laughs> at the like desk that. here. Okay, look, okay, I need to lighten the mood. Let's lighten the mood. Okay. Despite what anyone says, I'm actually... Uh, I, I talk to a lot of different people, mm-hmm. okay? And I'm talking cisgendered people, um, my ex-wife, uh, a lot of friends, things like that. You know what? There's a lot of positive attitude towards Caitlyn Jenner. Okay. On their front. We have so different- that's from cisgender people? Cisgendered people. Okay. Um, there's a lot of positive feed, a lot of feelings coming from, from about her. Now, yes, there's people who have issues with her around privilege and stuff, but I'm telling you, Overall, she's done a lot of good stuff. Okay. So anyway, so Caitlyn Jenner, she's back in the news, and she got a new lipstick which raises money for transgender charities. Okay. She's joined forces with MAC Cosmetics to design a new lipstick, the name of the shade, finally free. Um, it's quite appropriate. Quite appropriate. <laughs> um, the best thing about it, 100% of proceeds raised will go towards supporting transgender charities as part of the MAC AIDS Fund transgender initiative and you can get your hands on finally free come april 7th well that sounds like if the funds actually going towards a a good charity well you know that sounds like not not such a bad idea that sounds a bad idea matt cosmetics is on board the transgender uh uh, community and bringing Mm. caitlin as the face of it so well well, there you go what's not maybe so bad as like what we might sort of normally get expected to with with caitlin jenner so so other than bathrooms other than other than safe schools, other than this is what we have. Okay. We're gonna be, we're gonna beat all the other stuff for the yeah stick, because the, the, the yeah. show. So because tonight, yeah, look as I say, we've got a really special guest coming up. At Burnaby. A special guest. She, uh, I'm actually really. Do you know what? I'm really nervous. 
<laughs> you and me both. I know. It's just like it's not very often you get to speak to a senator. No, it isn't. So I'm really looking forward to it. So in about five minutes, we will be talking to Senator Janet Rice from the Greens. And then, as I said, later on in the show, we will be talking to Dr. Michelle Telfer from the Royal Children's Hospital. So make sure that you do stay. Don't go far. We do have a really good show lined up for you tonight. We are talking myths and rumours, and we're going to be trying to dispel some of them, as well as talking about some things. Yes. And if there's things that you actually did miss out on over the past couple weeks around some of these topics, you can go back and get our podcasts have been updated, and you can download those and, and keep up to date with some of the things that we've been discussing around the same topic. We have a guest on the phone. We, we, we do have a very special guest on the phone, and I think a very special guest is Senator Janet Rice. Hello, Janet. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Megan and Michelle. <laughs> Welcome, Janet. Welcome. Now, Janet, actually, before we go anywhere, I want to give you a special round of applause. <laughs> I thought you'd appreciate it. Now, the special round of applause is actually for two things. Three things, actually. First one um, is congratulations on your 30-year wedding anniversary today. Yes. Oh, wow. I I believe your partner, Penny, um, is uh, is 30 years today, and uh, big congratulations. And I feel kind of blessed and kind of honoured that you've taken time out of your very special day to talk to us. Uh, look, it's, it's my pleasure. I mean, we're actually we're both out at the dinner tonight. Um, it, it's a sitting week in Parliament this week, so I'm um, parliamentary business. So Penny came up to Canberra um, on yes, yeah, just yesterday, and so we're at a science meets Parliament dinner this evening. So popped out of that to speak to you. <laughs> uh, oh, well, I'm glad that you actually took the time to come and talk to us. So um, the other thing I was also going to say is, well, thank you so much for everything that you've done for the trans community. Look, last week um, was a very big week for, for not only the trans community, but the larger LGBTIQ community. Uh, also, I believe Monday last week was a very special day when a lot of transgender children, uh, obviously parents and, and medical professionals as well, uh, came to Canberra to talk to not only yourself but other politicians with regards to access to cross-sex hormone therapy for for children Mm. and not having to go to to court. That's right. It it really was one of the very best days I've had here in the Parliament. It was just incredible to have. We had about, I think, 30 or 40 people of, you know, parents and and kids and it was just, you know, almost like a festival atmosphere of having all these families crammed into one of our um, committee rooms and to tell their such moving stories and such strong message of saying, you know, asking us for reform so that um, they and other trans young people in their situation don't have to go to the family court in order to be able to get their cross-sex hormones. And it was, you know, the, the overwhelming sense that I got was here are just, you know, families doing going through extraordinary times but just how normal they are you know there were parents with young kids and they were just all over the place it was, it was just terrific <laughs> it was incredibly moving and an incredibly powerful thing to do they're just normal parents and normal kids aren't oh, they they are definitely. exactly exactly and and you know the other politicians who were there you know you didn't get this sense of you know here are these strange weirdo trans kids you know it was here this room of normal families <laughs> normal kids normal parents and they just want to be able to get on with living their normal lives was there much said after everyone had left, like everyone remaining there uh, that the kids came to see? Was, was there much discussion afterward or, or all just positive vibes and feelings? Look, it was pretty positive. And I mean, this event was put on by the Parliamentary Friends of Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Intersex and Queer Australians. And um, so it was 
um, which I'm one of the co-chairs of the Parliamentary Friends Group, along with um, Warren Inch and from the Liberal Party and Graham Parrott from the Labor Party. And between the three of us and the other politicians in the room, there was a real sense that this was something that we could move on together. There was cross-party support for. In fact, we had officers from George Brandis's office there as the Attorney-General, and we have been told that George Brandis is you know, actively looking at the issue. So unlike some other issues where we strike roadblocks, like you know, marriage equality and you know the work of the Safe Schools Coalition, this one at least seems to be an area that at the moment there is sort of cross-party support for, and I think we can really be looking forward to getting some progress. So that was a, you know, a real high, not just to, to hear these stories, but to have the sense that, yes, we, we are in a position of being able to get some really positive outcomes and, and really help, help these, these kids just and their, their families to, to get on with their lives. Mm. Which is a really good thing. When we talk about progress, what sort of time frame are we talking about for these kinds of changes to happen? Is it something which happens Look, quickly? I'm the optimist. Um, and from what the legal experts tell me, it's not a big change in the legislation that's required. So it's the sort of thing that if the government... Essentially, the, the ball is back in, in the government's court. I mean, we could go off and do lots of work and draft legislation that would change it, but we're actually much better off given that the government is interested and um, seems to be quite engaged with the issue to, for them to use the resources of the of the relevant government department to do the to draft up the legislative change um, so it's the sort of thing that you would think surely should be able to be done you know within the space of a year of course this year we've got you know election that might get in the way um, but uh, you know that that's the sort of time frame that I'm hopeful that we'll be able to get some progress so when we talk about legislation changes, I know that one big thing which affects a lot of trans people and those who are in relationships um, is forced divorce. Well, do you know anything which is sort of happening within that space at a broader national Look, level? And at this stage, I mean, probably I think the way that we're going to get around the issue of forced divorce is to once we finally see the marriage equality changes that will happen in this legislation. No, but at the moment, it's just this crazy situation, you know, that my partner Penny and myself celebrating our 30 years of marriage this year are only able to do it because Penny decided that you know, it was better for us to stay married than for her to change her gender and her birth certificate. So it's, you know, it's still this complete anomaly and anybody you explain the situation to just thinks it's, it's crazy and, you know, why are we still having this situation here in Australia but it's it's not something that seems that it's going to move very quickly so you know all the more reason to I think to be getting marriage equality and achieving um, achieving that so it doesn't matter what gender what your sexuality is um, that two adults who love each other should be able to be married and stay married it sounds fair enough. I've got another question, actually. One of the big issues which faces trans people, already we know that trans people are so financially marginalised, access to health care in order to have access to uh, either access to hormone therapies mm. or mental medical specialists or surgical treatments, obviously yep. out of reach of a lot of individuals for trans people, particularly when you start talking about surgeries, and it's not just lower surgery, it's all transgender-related yeah. surgeries. Look, it's a, it's a real big one, that's right, and it's something that, that we as Greens will continue to keep lobbying for and that, you know, all of the surgical procedures and, in fact, all of the, um, you know, the counselling should be able to be covered by our public health system. And at the moment, you know, we know that that's not the case. 
but you know, it's it's an, there's no reason why it shouldn't be covered by Medicare. So we're going to keep on um, um, advocating for that to be the case. And yes, you know, it starts. Um, you know, the, the costs of actually accessing the care and the support you need. You know, one of the the issues. You know, going back to the the trans young people of you know the having to go through the family court. So even with getting pro bono legal support, the um, families were telling us that it's usually costing their families around twenty to thirty thousand dollars, which means it's actually only available to a very small minority of, of families. And you know, speaking to Dr. Michelle Telfer at the Royal Children's Hospital Gender Clinic, who was one of our on our panel last Monday, um, she says that you know the majority of the the teenage kids who are attending the clinic um, make the decision that no, they'll wait until they're 18 to access hormones because they just can't afford to go through that process. And it's obviously not, not, not good for their, their outcomes, much better off for them to be able to access hormones when they need them at the age you know, 14, 15, 16. Definitely. Mm, definitely. Well, I was going to say, look, you know, these kinds of things are really good. Yeah. You know, what I suppose ultimately some of these changes are also going to be incumbent upon some of the homophobic dinosaurs that exist within Parliament. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. You pick up that phrase there. It's a good well, one, isn't it? It's a really good one. I think someone actually called it out for a point of order, but... Uh, <laughs> That's right. We were told that, no, it wasn't a point of order. And in fact, somebody else said to me on Twitter after I... I called Cory Bernardi a homophobic dinosaur. That was about the most polite thing that they could think of to call him. Yeah, and yes, I mean, it was, you know, from last Monday was such a huge day because having had the trans young people and spent the day on a high and then we got to 10 to 10, which is when we finish up on a Monday night and at least the the main business of when voting in the Senate could be held until, and then you have what's called the adjournment debates, which anybody gets to stand up and speak for, um, for 10 minutes or so about something that is, you know, dear to them. And the first person, first cab off the rank last Monday night was Corey Bernardi, where he gave <laughs> such a vile speech full of hatred and full of just really hurtful um, stuff about um, same-sex attracted and gender diverse people and essentially denying that they existed. Um, and, yeah, that was... It was such a bring, bringing me back down to earth that that's the challenges that we're still facing in our community today. Well, it does help having someone like yourself there in Parliament who actually is touched personally by, you know, someone who is transgender, Mary, you know, being married to Penny still and, and being in a loving relationship. It, it just helps having someone like yourself there who can stand there and just shake your head and go, Are you, you got to be kidding me. Exactly, exactly. And it really, you know, it does, you know, make the, the personal being political to me. And I just, you know, can, I've, I've got that connection. And it's something that I'm really passionate about. And yes, and I just get riled up mm. so much. I, mean, I don't know how many people put themselves through watching Q&A last night. Um, but to hear, you know, Lyle Shorten from the Australian Christian Bobby again, he was basically just saying, I was sitting there next to Penny, you know, sitting on the couch, in fact, in my Parliament House office. And he was basically saying that, um, trans people don't exist. Well, the, you know, you, you're just you're just confused. <laughs> and uh, and then there are other you know National Party Senator Barry O'Sullivan during the week who when you know asked about why he didn't support the work of the same sex coalition was basically saying oh you know, young uh, young people they're just sexually confused and it's, it's denying that there are same sex attracted and, and gender diverse people in our society and it's 
it's just so backwards, so homophobic and transphobic, and, and we've got to call it out. And I, I know that you know there, there is such an amount of support. I mean, it's one indication of that is you know, Corey Bernardi in his speech last Monday was talking about his petition of nine thousand people to review the Safe Schools um, Coalition, which very sadly you know, Malcolm Turnbull then caved into. It wasn't just you know corralled as the late night late night ratings of that homophobic dinosaur, but you know our prime minister gave into it. Mm. Um, but I've, I've lost my train of thought. Well, I was going to say because <laughs> you have got a lot of um, just very quick on this short amount of time we've got left. How many um, how many signatures did you get for your petition? That's right. That's what I was going to say. He had nine thousand four hundred. So we then immediately launched the petition the following day, and we're now over thirty thousand. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> that what? really shows the level of support that's out there in the community and people. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And and how you know, the majority of Australians are with us, and we know that we know that the you know, these liberal politicians, they are so backward, they are out of step with the community. They are living back in the 19th, <laughs> let alone the 20th century. It is a bit and like they, It is, that's right. And they, I, mean, I think there's not much hope for some of those. They're never going to catch up. We just need to turf them out. Yeah, definitely. Look, Janet, unfortunately, we have run out of time, but I'll tell you what. I'd like to get you back, um, if that's okay. Maybe in a couple of weeks, if we give you a call and, and uh, make yep. contact with you. Is that okay? That, that would be great. That would right. be terrific. Okay. <laughs> Look, thank you thank so you much for joining us and, and happy yourself. anniversary. And we thank will speak you very again. much. Thanks, I'll go Jen. back and have another, another glass of wine with Penny. <laughs> okay. Good girl. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> Thanks. That was Senator Janet Rice, and you are listening to Transpositions on Joy 94.9. We got a really interesting message. Yeah, you know, it's funny. People don't realize that if you, if you actually type in their phone number to like Facebook, you can actually see who they are. Um, so we put out a news article around something positive around Caitlyn Jenner. And, you know, it, my thing is if, if you're going to listen to the show and you're going to put something negative as a message, then, then pretty much don't listen to the show. Um, so we got basically an SMS that came in says, not Caitlyn Jenner, but Bruce Jenner. And, you know, that's just that's just ignorant. Yeah, that is ignorant. Uh, 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 probably a bit of a call out to that person is, how are you to know who that who Caitlin's identity is? Yeah. Uh, ultimately, Caitlin knows who her identity is, and obviously you're in no position whatsoever <laughs> I mean, I to, to make that call. <laughs> I mean, it's so easy to go and actually, you know, because I've, I've looked up who they are, and I could easily just say who you are. But it, it's just it's just ignorant, you know, it and is. I'm not going to be that ignorant myself. But, I mean, and that's the thing, you know, if, if it, 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 and it's, I don't get riled up very often, but to do something like that is just ignorant. Yeah, I think that's pretty ignorant, unfortunately. Look, you're listening to Transpositions. Now, we do have a really good uh, guest on the phone, uh, Dr. Michelle Telfer. Uh, Dr. Michelle, how are you? I'm well, thanks, Megan. How are you? <laughs> Very good. Thank you. So, thank you for joining us again at, at, uh, on quite an auspicious night. Yes, thank you. So there's been a lot of sort of really interesting things going on. But look, obviously, sort of talking about where we were uh, with with, um, with uh, Janet Rice, um, big things happened Monday last week. From your perspective, how important was the event last week? Look, it was a really important day for transgender children and adolescents uh, throughout Australia. We had um, fantastic session uh, with the Parliamentary Friends of LGBTI Australians, with um, people represented from all parties and independents, um, and there was a real sense of hope um, in the room and positivity, and a real sense that we could bring about change with the cross-party support that was there. 
Um, we also had a number of meetings throughout the day um, with people who uh, would be very important um, in writing the legislation. So we met with um, the team from George Brandis's office, his advisors to the family court and um, and others that were going to help write the legislation and um, also had meetings with um, MPs from Labor and um, and the Greens at Janet Rice obviously organising um, much of the day's event. So it was it was a fantastic day and I, I really hope that uh, things flow on from it and, and soon that would be fantastic. So Michelle, are you, are you um, are, 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 things have been such a whirlwind lately. So so are you you taking time out and at least having a glass of red and, and planning your next holiday so you can get away from all of this? <laughs> oh, it has been an intense week um, with so much in the media, um, so many views being put forward and, and so much misinformation um, that we've been asked to respond to. Um, but most of all, I think um, what's been... I certainly haven't been able to sort of sit back and, and take it easy because the effect of all this negativity uh, and debate in out in public is that it really does affect the trans children and adolescents and their families. And we've seen... Uh, increasing distress in our clinics with people um, feeling that they're being uh, used in this debate um, unfairly and cruelly um, to, to forward people's agendas and and um, and that's actually been quite distressing for, for us too to, to witness. I think I was reading an article um, just recently as well that um, after the announcement of the safe schools being under um, investigation and everything, that there was an, an increase in requests for mental health um, uh, inquiries to go to the, their doctors and GPs, Garcia and, Garcia and uh, psychiatrists and stuff, because out of, out of the, the stress from this. Yeah, and and I can certainly um, back that, that we, we've also seen a lot of distress and. Um, we refer pretty much every single patient that we see to the Safe Schools Coalition. So a lot of the schools that these children uh, or adolescents attend are already signed up to the Safe Schools Coalition. Um, many families um, check out whether the school has signed up before looking into enrolling their children there. Um, and we depend so, so much on this fantastic program that... Um, we as an organ, like we as a as a service, were were worried, uh, and still are worried about some of the comments going around because they really do misrepresent the great work that Safe Schools Coalition does. And of course, if you're taking one of the most important um, supports away from these young people, they're going to feel distressed. They're going to feel distressed at the possibility that that might happen. So. Um, and I, I have also seen those reports from um, a number of other uh, support agencies saying that they are receiving a spike in, in requests for assistance, and, and that's so understandable. I know that one of the things which was said with regards to some of the myths and rumours and things like that, which are going around at the moment, is with regards to 80% of non uh, gender non-conforming children uh, and not identifying or not going through tra- going through transition. What's your sort of professional view and and commentary on that? Yeah, look, it's a really good question because those statistics of. Um that only 20% of gender non-conforming children will 
uh, persist with a cross-gender identity into adolescence have been used for a very long time and um, and haven't really been questioned in recent times because there hasn't been new data to, um, to back that, those statistics up. What we know is that those studies are quite old now and um, and some of, uh, or a number of those studies were conducted um, by a researcher very well known in uh, transgender academic circles called Ken Zucker. And uh, Ken um, has done a lot of research through his um, gender service in Toronto and that service has recently been shut down by or following an independent review um, uh, conducted in Canada because of concerns that there were um, reparative or conversion therapy happening, um, or there was that therapy happening in the clinic. So we're left with questions of if this clinic is conducting reparative therapy on children and the children are in this in therapeutic environment, not supportive, potentially with parental um, environment or home environment that aren't supportive, then how many of these kids aren't necessarily persisting, but how many of them are just suppressing their true feelings about themselves and then coming out later in life as identifying as trans when they are in a different environment? Mm. Um, but that's one question. Yeah. The other question is that the studies don't really define what gender non-conforming behaviour might be. So the these aren't children who have a persistent and insistent gender identity that's different from their um, sex assigned at birth. So how many of those kids were never trans to begin with or gender diverse to begin with? How many of them were just having um, or displaying some behaviours which we certainly would consider normal um, but added to a, a lesser degree than ever getting a diagnosis? So... I don't think we can quote those figures and they're often used as a reason not to allow young people to transition. I think that's really unfair and I think it's a, um, a, a misuse of, of that those numbers, really. What we see in our clinic at the Royal Children, and this is backed up by a number of my colleagues who work um, in various places internationally, is that for those young children who are really persistent and insistent that their gender identity is different from that assigned at birth, they persist into adolescence and once all kids get to adolescence doesn't matter what their history is if they identify as gender diverse after puberty starts so this is as young as 10 11 or 12 then they persist um, at a rate that is greater than 99 percent we have Dr. Michelle Telfer on the line from the Royal Children's Hospital, Royal Children's Hospital uh, discussing different myths and things were brought up um, over the past week and especially last night on Q&A no. Yes. <laughs> it was an interesting no. show, wasn't it, Michelle? Interesting. Michelle? Oh, yes. yes. Hello. Sorry. Confusing <laughs> she, fell, she fell asleep. I should call you Dr. Michelle. <laughs> Dr. Michelle. Oh. Now, 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 Dr. Michelle, one of the things I've seen come up uh, several times is re- reference to John Hopkins. Now, yes. um, we've been doing... Now, look, we're we're just a... We're just a little radio show here, you know. We're not we're not some big organization out there. Huh? Don't talk yourself down. <laughs> no, but I mean, we can easily do go on the Googles and do our own level of research, right? And so the data that's being brought up is is coming back from the nineteen seventies. And this is data that even John Hopkins doesn't even stand with on. And so I'm I'm just not I'm just baffled as to why John Hopkins data keeps coming up. 
Yeah, because what I see, the data was from back in 1979. It was it was a, a study conducted by Mayer and Ryder at uh, John, Johns Hopkins. And from what I've seen, it, it says it found that there was no difference in the adjustment between people who had surgery versus those who didn't. There were major flaws with how they measured adjustment. Um, and it's, and they didn't actually look at regret either. So w- what's your comment on this study? Well, I'm not particularly familiar with that, with that study, but one, what's been, been really interesting with um, the data that's been brought up about John Hopkins, and I think the re- one of the reasons that it came out on the show last night on, on Q&A was that there have been quotes from uh, around studies which um, the psychiatrist at John Hopkins Hospital used to close down their surgical procedures there. So there was the one back from 19, the 1970s. There was also a study done in Sweden um, that was published in 2011 which looked at suicide rates for uh, adults. So we don't do surgery in children, but for adults who'd had surgery, the suicide rates were um, uh, much higher than the general population. And this study was on Q and A, that was quoted on Q and A last night as a reason why surgical uh, procedures are not necessarily not necessary in um, in trans adults. But if you actually look at the, the study, what the study showed was that the surgery did relieve gender dysphoria, but the suicide rates remain high, likely um, because that although the person might have. Uh, change physically with surgery. Society hasn't changed post-operatively. So this, the uh, the individuals who would have um, been uh, studied still faced the stigma, the discrimination, the exclusion, the harassment and so forth, which leads, as we know, to, to depression, anxiety, self-harm and suicide. So the study actually said the surgery does help, but what, they, what is also required is the psychological support to cope with the negativity that's brought on by societal um, attitudes. I'm glad you said all that because it was actually one of the questions I was going to ask you was on the tip of my tongue. And even, I know, Mingzi and myself, when we were interacting with different people on Facebook or different forums or or whatever, that um, most people who we find that when they do actually decide to take their own life, it's usually around things like that with society and, and not being able to find employment and family uh, pushing them away. And, and, and that, that would do just too much for anyone. That's right. And trans, the trans community aren't inherently more likely to self-harm or suicide. It's society's response and society's reaction to, to those who are gender diverse or who, um, who express themselves differently it causes the mental health implications that we see all the time. Which is kind of really disconcerting. I, I, one of the things that we I wanted to talk about as well is regretters, and that is people who regret transitioning. Now, last year, 
uh, here on Transpositions, we spoke to Dr. Fintan Hart and he gave us a bit of a sort of a spiel about it. I was going to play an extract of, of the interview that we did with Fintan, but I think with the time that we've got, we are probably a bit pressed for time, but I did reach out to another medical professional um, earlier today who's from also the Gender Dysphoria Unit at Southern Health. And what he said to me, he said, as for regret, uh, well, again, depends on how you measure it universally. The rates are about 1% to 2% and have been decreasing over over the years. In Melbourne, our clinic experiences our clinic experiences suggest that the rate is less than one percent. People who have regretted uh, either have either have had significant mental health problems which weren't assessed or underwent surgery for the wrong reasons. Some people may regret the impact it has had on their families. Social harassment may also tr- trigger feelings of regret as well. Now, when I listened to Finton as well, he said that there's some people who went through this, they weren't following, they w- didn't display the classic signs of gender dysphoria with distress from an early age of a child. It's something that they decided just to do on a Sunday afternoon, thought, you know what, I'm going to transition. Is that something that you see with your practice with children at all? Well, I think it's quite different with children because um, they often uh, come in with their parents um, and um, hopefully uh, with the support of those parents that are bringing them in. And we have um, a, a, a very, um, I say regimented structure, but we've, we've got a clinical pathway at the hospital which involves multiple assessments over time. And... Um, Sometimes if the children come in very young, we have the benefit of a number of years of watching and waiting and um, seeing how they go socially with transitioning and so forth so that when they go into puberty, we can be absolutely certain that it's the right thing for that child in that family. Um, with with others who present a bit later in adolescence, again, we're getting the, percep- the um, perceptions from the family and that young person and everyone still needs to go through a thorough assessment before we would start any treatment. Um, so we have, the, we have that benefit uh, with the young people. One of the things that I also want to touch on as well is there's a lot of perhaps, and you could probably qualify this, misinformation which talks about penis tucking and also about breast bonding. I think the thing about penis tucking, what's been thrown around, uh, is that it makes someone infertile. Is that true? I've heard I've heard people talk about this so much over the last week, and um, there is absolutely no evidence whatsoever that it does any harm to um, uh, to, to tuck your penis in to flatten your profile to look more feminine. Like no harm whatsoever. And I have to say, as a pediatrician who specialises in adolescent medicine, popping your penis between your own legs is probably one of the safest places <laughs> you can put it. In terms of um, the comments made uh, about infertility and so forth, I see um, a lot of uh, young people engaged in, in heterosexual uh, sex and other forms of sex who pick up sexually transmitted infections that cause infertility, things like chlamydia and so forth. So in terms of penis fucking, gosh, that's absolutely a, a very safe thing to do and um, and, and certainly uh, is is something that uh, young people who feel that that's um, how uh, they wish to carry themselves is totally fine. Now, with the limited amount of t- oh. I was going to say, yeah. with the limited amount of time that we've got, what about with uh, with binding? Yeah, binding's a bit same in terms of 
um, uh, using regular binders that you would um, buy. Um, mostly, actually, most of them are made in China or in the States, and um, they're very safe to use. There have been instances um, of people trying to bind with tape and so forth and do it really tightly um, that they've needed to, to to redo it so it's a bit more comfortable and, and easy to breathe. But certainly there is no long-term consequence from um, binding the chest. Now, Mich- Michelle, one of the things that came up talking to parents of transgender kids and even amongst my, myself and Migsy here, after watching the Q&A uh, show last night, what were your feelings on the, the fact that we're watching a panel of people who um, don't identify as any kind of gender diverse or are trans, and then even in the audience didn't appear to be anybody who was translated or even trans speaking up or having a voice within this session? Well, that is really interesting, and I think Karen Phelps made a really good comment at one stage. She said, have, have any of you even met a trans person? Because that's exactly how it felt, that there seemed to be a lot of uh, discussion about um, the trans and gender diverse population, but without hearing uh, hearing it firsthand. And um, I'm not sure if there were uh, trans people in the audience. Obviously, there were family members of um, of trans children who who spoke up, but it, I think it's extremely difficult when the environment is so adversarial. Um, if you've got someone who is so outspoken and um, putting forward views that are homophobic and uh, transphobic, then it's not a safe place to and a comfortable space to say, you're talking about me or you're talking about my family and or, um, or, or my friends. And it's, um, I think it's very difficult when someone of, um, of, of the nature that were, some of the people that were on the panel or given the opportunity to speak, when they're given that platform, um, it's very hard to have a balanced discussion. And um, I think we should look at... Um, providing um, a safer space to discuss these issues. Yeah, look, Dr. Michelle, it, 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 uh, obviously we're nailing this one to the wall. There, there's, there's so much we could, we could honestly discuss on this. Um, and, and again, you know, you've, you, as we said, you know, you've got a, a group, a panel, a whole room of people uh, discussing our lives and our future, and we're not even there to go and have a voice, a representation to do it, which is quite disappointing. Yeah, which has been unfortunate. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Dr. Michelle, unfortunately, we are out of time. But look, thank you so much for joining us tonight, and hopefully, we get to talk to you again. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on the show. It's great talking thank to you. you. Thank you, Doctor. So, Michelle, unfortunately, it has come to it has. the end of the show. <laughs> I guess that we're really going to nail this one. <laughs> <laughs> so, we have lots more to talk about. Don't go far, Transpositions. We're back next week talking about Mardi Gras. You've been listening to Joy 94.9. Chat to you then. Thanks for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.